Hey, it is good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, about seven years ago, when the Lord led us to plant Cross Point Community Church, uh, He instilled a desire in us as elders to uh, to set some some values here at the church. We felt called to uh, help the people of God or equip the people of Cross Point, I should say, to know God, to be known, and to make Him known. Uh, we pulled those uh, values directly from Scripture. And those are the three primary values that we think through in the way that we preach, we teach, and we lead this body in spiritual formation and discipleship. And if you've been here for long, you know that we spend quite a bit of time uh, continuing to instill these values into our church culture. And hopefully you know that we also as elders uh, seek to live these out as we lead uh, and live among this body of believers, including the value of being known. Understanding that every single one of us falls short of the glory of God, but that God in his great mercy and grace paid a great price on the cross for our sin, and by doing so, demonstrated his great love for us in this, and that while we were sinners, he died for us. Understanding, in short, that we can't hide from God, that he fully knows us, and he still loves us. And understanding that this truth, remi- this truth removes any desire that we may have to try to cover up our need for Jesus or what Jesus has done in our life or what Jesus is currently doing in our life. That we can be fully known by God and that we can be fully known by others. And again, this is a value that we have tried to live out as elders. And so, never forget, about seven years ago when we had just planted the church, uh, we were just starting community groups. We're getting ready to launch this ministry at Crosspoint. Uh, Many of us, about 80 of us actually, gathered at uh, Rockwell Golf and Athletic Club on a Sunday night. Uh, and, and it was a good time, man. There was a lot of excitement about what the Lord was doing at the church. And, uh, man, we just... Uh, we just wanted to share our vision for what it looked like to be fully known uh, by God and with one another. And so that night, my wife Elizabeth and I, we stood up and we uh, shared our testimony. And right before we did that, we shared, hey, we are about to share with you everything that we don't want you to know. And we did. And it wasn't because we wanted to do that, but it was because we wanted to model what it looks like to live fully known by God and others. And we wanted to serve and set the tone for the vision that we as elders had for a community at Crosspoint, for living in authentic faith and living in authentic fellowship. And to God's credit, thankfully, uh, he used that night. Uh, There were some people that were shocked what they heard from church leadership, but man, he used that night uh, to instill this culture into our church body, and that has continued to grow. Uh, But as our church body has also continued to grow, there's a lot of new people Uh, One of the things that I've noticed is I've shifted my role as an elder here to focus more on discipleship ministries and our community groups is uh, just as our church body has grown, there's also been a certain level of comfort that's grown. And although that's a really good thing, what often accompanies comfort is maybe a lack of intentionality or maybe a lack of authenticity. And so today, as we're approaching our fall semester for community groups and re-engage, we as elders decided to take one week off from our study of Philippians uh, to talk about these things, to talk about what the Lord would have have for us in regard to being fully known by Him, fully known by others, and really to encourage every single one of our members to be actively involved in a community group that is living out an authentic faith and fellowship. And so, as Scott mentioned, the plan for this morning is I'm going to preach a little bit of a a shorter sermon uh, than usual this morning. I'm going to spend about the first half of our time kind of setting this up. Uh, And then during our second half, I'm going to invite uh, Clint and Brittany Brunson up to share uh, a bit of their story as well as how God has worked in their life through community. And I just want to let you know, as I've been thinking about this and praying about this all throughout this week, my prayer is that God might use this message, might use this testimony uh, to reach every single one of us. Maybe those that have been in church their entire lives, and also those that have maybe walked into this place this morning for the first time, just checking out what it means to be a part of a church. And I also prayed this week that if any of you are here that are not currently involved in community, you're not in a community group, that you might leave here today feeling a, a, a sense of loss, that you're missing out on what God has created to be one of the most essential elements for your spiritual growth and maturity. And so, guys, that is the plan for this morning. 
How many of you guys have ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah, about the same way at the first service, about half the hands went up. So it's about 20 years old. Don't think I'm going to give away any spoilers by talking about this movie. Uh, but if you haven't seen it or you can't remember what it is, uh, Catch Me If You Can is a remarkable true story uh, about a young man played by Leonardo DiCaprio uh, who's a con man. Uh, and it's all about his adventures, and he's being chased by the character, a detective by, played by the character Tom Hanks all throughout the movie. Uh, but this character that's played by DiCaprio, before the age of 18, again, true, real true life story, conned his way into the professional positions of doctor, lawyer, and pilot. I mean, it's really an interesting story, especially when you find out that it's true. Uh, again, don't think there's any spoilers here, so I'll go ahead and tell you how it ends. The way that it ends is ultimately with DiCaprio's character falling apart. The guy's life just unravels. He falls apart from the sheer exhaustion of managing other people's expectations, perceptions, faking it, pretending it. It was remarkable that he conned his way into those positions because once he got there, it took so much energy for him to manage other people's perceptions that it completely wiped him out. And some of you guys may have heard me share that, that illustration in the past. Uh, I'm sharing it again this morning just because I think it works really well. I'm also sharing it because I think that there could be some of us here this morning or maybe some of us in our culture that can actually relate to that story. Probably not in the sense that you have conned your way into some sort of a false career, but maybe in the sense that you are absolutely exhausted from managing either God or other people's perceptions of who you really are. Maybe in the way that many in our church culture walk into a worship service on a Sunday morning, put on a smile, which is often more like a mask, talk to some people, shake hands, sing some songs, hear a message, and then walk back out the doors into the hidden lives that they are really living. And just like the con in the movie, many in our church, many in our culture are absolutely exhausted. If that's you, I want you to know that I can relate. There was a time in my life that I felt the same way. Some of us even go a step beyond this, and we get involved in a community group. We show up at community group, man, we share some things. We share some celebrations that are going on in our life. Maybe we share some past sin struggles that we had that maybe we have overcome because those are always fun to share. Maybe we share some struggles that we're having with some other people, but rarely, if ever, do we share real-time current sin struggles in our life. And then we walk out and we go back into our hidden lives. But friends, that's not how God calls us to live as Christians. God does not call us to a fake faith and fellowship. God calls us to an authentic faith and fellowship where we are fully known by God, we are fully known by others. He calls us to understand that authenticity is necessary for both a right relationship with him and a right relationship with others. And so for clarity today, just thought I'd give us a working definition of what authenticity means because, you know, we may have some different views on that. Basically, this word means that we are real, that we're genuine, that we are who we say we are, that there's consistency in what we say we believe and how we actually live. And so, friends, this is why authenticity is necessary for a right relationship with God and others. Now, there's so many passages that I could go to this morning to show you this truth. Uh, but today, I want to read a passage of scripture, scripture with you out of 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Uh, and then I'm going to make some quick observations about this passage. Uh, and then we'll bring up Clint and Brittany in a little bit. Now, Uh, Normally, we don't put the passage of Scripture that's being preached on the screen because we like to invite you guys to come in, open your Bibles, interact with the living and active Word of God. But this morning is different. Uh, It's going to be a shorter sermon. We're not deep diving today, so I'm going to go ahead and put this on the screen. But either way, you can follow along in your Bibles or you can follow along uh, on the screen. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you may have noticed that John begins with a description of the nature and character of God as light. It's a common reference for God in the scriptures. Sometimes it's a, it points to God's holiness. Other times his moral purity, his righteousness. Uh, there's other times that the term light points to uh, his truth and revelation. And it may be true that all of those uh, are true in this passage as well. But it seems that the focus, uh, it seems like at the forefront of John's use of it here in this passage is to describe that God is as his very nature and being the source of life. The source of life. Now keep in mind this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John uh, and that this kind of language is consistent with what he's written before. In John's Gospel, again these will be on the screen, uh, chapter 8 verse 12, John records the words of Jesus who said this. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And in John chapter 12, verse 46, he also records that Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If you look back at our text today, verses 6, 8, and 10 are similar. John warns his readers with this. And if you just know that if we say, if we say, if we say, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth, Come back to verse 7 in a minute for those of you guys that are thinking I'm missing it. But in verse 8, John continues, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So guys, basically what this means is that without Christ and left to ourselves, we are living in darkness and we are dead in our sin. That's the the gospel message that John provides here. But just as Jesus came as a light into our dark world, he also came into our lives to shine a light unto our sin. And so, in other words, living an authentic faith means we need to get honest about our sin. Otherwise, we're lying to God, we're lying to ourselves, and we are deceived. And so one of the truths we learn from this text is that authentic faith starts by addressing our sin, addressing our sin. As I prayed through this, reflected on this this past week, I, I just began to wonder, like, who would ever truly say that they're without sin? I mean, unless we're false teachers, I don't think that many of us in this room would ever truly say that. But many of us, in fact, do live that way. We either don't recognize, admit, or own our sin, or we minimize or attempt to cover up our sin with lies, half-truths, and sometimes humor. And we typically do this because we're either embarrassed by our sin or we feel shame or we feel guilt. But here's what's interesting. What this means is that it is possible for a believer to be living in sin and yet convince themselves that everything is fine in his or her relationship with the Lord. So what do we do to make sure we're not deceived? We get honest with our sin And then thankfully, if we look at verse 9, we see that John gives us a prescription for forgiveness. In verse 9, John writes, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so another truth we learn from this passage is that authentic faith is necessary for forgiveness. This is the gospel message that without Jesus, we're not aware of our sin and we're not aware of our darkness. But Jesus exposes where we fall short, and when we recognize and confess our sin, he provides a way for us to be forgiven. It's the gospel message that John provides. To expand on this truth, the Bible says uh, that when we place our faith and trust in Christ, that we are new creations, that the old is gone and that the new is here. Many of us are familiar with Romans chapter 8, verse 1, where Paul tells us that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. When we address and confess our sin, we are forgiven. So then, why do we need to continue to confess? Maybe a question that some people have. Because although Christ died once for all, according to the scriptures, and our sins were paid for on the cross, we all know 
that sin is an ongoing reality in our lives. And when we sin, it impairs our relationship with the Lord. So in short, the Bible tells us that when we confess and repent of our sin for our initial salvation, that we continue to confess not to be saved again, but to restore our right relationship with God. And so how do we do this? How do we confess our sin? I'm going to start by telling you what confession is not. True confession is not something that we do to impress others. That would be ironic and it would be unbiblical. And some of you guys think, well, who would even do that? And this is a warning for us as a church because this is something that's made its way into the church over the past decade as authenticity has become kind of the buzzword around churches. Man, we got to be authentic. And we do need to be authentic. But here's the reality. Vulnerability is one of those things that we're like most drawn to and most scared of at the same time. And so when we see somebody who is authentic, we have a tendency to want to be near them. We have a tendency to want to encourage them. And so we go put a hand on them. We encourage them and give them that feedback. And we should. We should encourage one another. But here's the danger for when we're encouraged is, man, I shared a little bit of hard, hard stuff. And I thought it was going to go bad, but, man, some people actually gave me attention for that. Maybe if I share a little bit more, I can get a little bit more attention. You see why that would be unbiblical? Because that's not the point of confession. It's not about us. We're, we're confessing to God for the forgiveness of our sins. Confession is not an excuse. It's not something we do to get a pat on the back. It's also not a tool that should make it easy for us to disobey God and do what we really want while we trust that God will forgive us for what we really want to do. Scripture says that God will forgive us. But the scripture also tells us that uh, those of us that are truly saved should not desire to continue in sin because grace abounds. So what is confession? It's an honest look at our sin, not to dwell on our sin, but to focus on Christ. True confession is specifically naming our sin, whatever it is. Pride, envy, hatred, slander. Lust, deceit, whatever it is for you, it's specifically naming it. It's getting honest with God and living an authentic life in the light while trusting that God is faithful to who he is and that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And biblically, confession is followed with repentance, which means we turn away from that sin. Confession to God is practiced to pursue a right relationship with God. And it's... And it's also practiced to pursue a right relationship with others, which leads us to another truth found in this passage, that authenticity is necessary for biblical fellowship. For those of you guys that are still worried about verse 7 hanging back there, if you look back to that, you'll see that John writes, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. To this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, crazy, long name, if you haven't heard of this guy, but he wrote, he was a, a pretty famous theologian, seminary professor, pastor. Uh, he wrote a fantastic classic work called Life Together. In this book, he says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. He says it so much more eloquently than I do, but I usually just say that sin grows in the dark and people don't. Sin grows in the dark and people don't. So James addresses this in his letter as well. And he says, this is also where we find healing. James 5.16, probably hear this quoted a lot around here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So in summary and in this order, we confess our sins to God for the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus. And we confess our sins to one another for fellowship and healing through his people. I think most of us would agree on how refreshing it is to meet a Christian who's authentic. To meet a, to meet a Christian that's not trying to cover things up or, or pretend or fake it or con or act like they're living some perfect life. It's refreshing to meet a Christian that's authentic. I think we're all drawn to that. So why do we so often try to cover up our sins? I thought more about this week. I thought it's because a lot of us are like the con man from the movie and we want to manage other people's perceptions of us. Or we're afraid that others will look down on us, see who we really are. Or maybe it's because we don't want to be a burden to others. That's an excuse that I hear a lot. Man, they're, they're going through a lot. 
I don't want to put that on you. Or maybe it's because we've experienced hurt from a time that we did share and it was used against us. To this, I would say that gossip is the enemy of authenticity. And this is why we say at Crosspoint all the time, if, if you share your story, it is your story to share. It's really just that simple. And I want you guys to know that I've experienced all those things. So I'm not pointing at you, acting like I can't relate. I've experienced all those things. I, I remember living in darkness. I remember walking into churches scared that anybody might find out who I really was. And I remember learning about forgiveness through confession to God through Christ. And I began that process, and God grew me in that. And then I began to learn about healing and through confession to God's people and how God works through that supernaturally. I began to start that process. And I had still so much fear. If I tell this person, are they going to tell me this person? And who, is it people, are people going to find out stuff about me? I guess over the years, God has grown me in so many ways in this. Ultimately, the point where I'll stand up and tell you everything I don't want you to know because I have learned that God's word is true and what he says is good for us is good for us. And I've learned what it means to live in the light and the freedom I have found in the gospel and the ministry opportunities that I've been able to experience and the hope that, the hope that others have, have experienced as well. To live in authentic faith and fellowship means we stop playing the con. We stop wearing a mask and we stop faking it. It means we stop managing other people's perceptions of us. It also means that we stop covering up our weakness. It means we're consistent between who we claim to believe, what we claim to believe, and how we live. And Paul lived this way. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we learn that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul proclaimed that he would then boast all the more gladly of his weakness so that the power of God may rest upon him. And friends, when we do this, do you know what happens? Not only do we find healing and fellowship in the gospel, but our hope in Christ is exposed for others to see. And God is glorified. When we do this in our culture, so many that look into the church and, and think that this is a group of perfect people that they could never relate to, they can suddenly relate. And they can see the hope that we have in Christ. And they can find that hope in Christ themselves. I can't imagine that anyone here is thinking this, but please don't think that this doesn't apply to every single one of us. Me included. I mean, if I'm honest, guys, I can't go, seem to go a few minutes without sinning. There have been so many times I've wanted to cover that up. But if I do that, I'm not walking in the light. I'm not living in authentic faith. I'm not living in authentic fellowship. And I'm missing an opportunity to share how Christ is currently working in my life, which brings hope to others and glorifies God. For me, the filter that I typically use in regard to what I need to share with my community group is the first, as I pray through this, as I've confessed to God and I've gone through that process, when I know that I'm going to community group, pray about this, think about this, the first thing comes to mind that I don't want to share, that's the thing I need to share. That's the filter that I work through. I've confessed this to God and I'll confess it to you. Over the past few months, I've struggled with anger, jealousy, which is envy, lust, and I've struggled with some pretty serious anxiety, including an anxiety attack that I had earlier this year. Those close to me know this, and because I've been honest with them, they also know not to allow me to dodge their questions when they ask me about this. Even this past week, as I was preparing this message and considering what the Lord might have me say, and that he might have me say what I just said to you, I started thinking more about what you might think about me than God being glorified through this message. I confessed that to him, repented of that, and I share it with you now to model what it is I'm talking about. I can't seem to go a few minutes without sinning. And neither can you. And if you are one that thinks that you can, then that's self-righteousness and that's sin. But so many of us still cover it up. In fairness, I think a lot of times it's unintentional. I think this has to do with that comfort issue I started with this morning. Man, maybe we've been here for a while. Maybe we've been in church for a while. Maybe we've been in healthy community for a while. Man, we kind of got some of that big stuff out of the way years ago. So we just kind of show up and we get comfortable. I think it's unintentional, but I think that's how this happens sometimes. And so we stop seeing sin as something that we need to continue to confess and process with others, with God's people. But because intentionality and authenticity or authentic, authentically addressing our sin is one of the main points of this passage, 
It doesn't really let us off the hook. Because intentionality and authenticity are what God calls us to. And when we fail to recognize or when we disregard or minimize or we cover up our sin in order to manage other people's perception of us, what we're really saying, and I think a lot of times we don't mean to, but what we're really saying is that we have no sin and we have no real need for Jesus. Again, I don't think that a lot of us intend to do that, but I think due to the way that we're covering things up a lot, that's what we're really saying. And so how do we live this out? Well, guys, we have an authentic community here at Cross Point. So this is lived out on Sunday mornings. It's lived out as we serve together, as we do life together. But one of the, the most practical ways we live this out is in our community groups at Cross Point. Uh, our groups at Cross Point are biblical small groups that are committed to meeting together throughout the year. And the structure and goal of community groups at Cross Point is for them to be a safe place to study God's word and to care and shepherd for God's, share, shepherd God's people. They're led by trained leaders who are willing to walk with you both in your celebrations and your sin struggles. There were members of our church rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's where conflicts are resolved and it's where decisions are processed and prayed through biblically. They're not made up of people that are all the same. But by God's design, they're made up of people with very different personalities and giftings. And friends, they are messy. Discipleship's a messy ministry. But God's bigger than that, and he has created this tool for us to grow in our spiritual maturity and obedience. So I'm going to invite Clint and Brittany up here. Uh, they're going to share a bit of their story about, well, what God has done in their life and is doing in their life. Um, they're also going to share about how, what community at Cross Points meant to them. But as they're making their way up here, I just want to remind you that if you are not currently in a community group, that we have what are called connection groups. Connection groups are eight, week long, eight weeks long. Uh, they are made up of all different ages and stages of life. Um, and and it's, where, it's, just, it's where connection happens. That's why we title them connection groups. It wasn't very clever. Um, but yeah, it's the primary way in which people get involved in community here at our church. So we just started one last weekend. Meets during this service hour in the cafeteria. Um, and because it started last weekend doesn't mean that you can't jump in now. We'd still love to have you next Sunday if you were looking to step in to community at Crosspoint. And so what happens after that eight weeks is they then, the connection group then turns into community groups that meet throughout the, home, uh, meet throughout the week in people's homes. Um, we also have uh, a ministry coming up called Reengage. You may have heard of this. A lot of you guys have gone through this. Uh, but this is a small group, discipleship-driven ministry here at Crosspoint that focuses on marriage and what God would have for our marriages. And so whether you're in a community group or you are looking to get connected in community, this may also be a way for you to get further connected and to live out the authentic faith and fellowship that God would have for you in our church. I will tell you, due to space limitations, we only have room for 25 couples this year. Uh, a lot of people have already registered for that. I do believe there's some room left. But if you're on the fence about maybe signing up for that or not, I would highly encourage you that you go ahead and do that uh, to where we can make sure that there's space for you. So you guys give a warm welcome for Clint and Brittany Brunson. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I was raised in a home that whatever was happening at church took priority over everything. Uh, my dad was the head deacon. He taught Sunday school. He was a song leader. My mom also taught Sunday school. Church was twice on Sundays, Monday prayer meeting, Tuesday visitation, Wednesday night Bible study, and basically I started going to church nine months before I was born. <laughs> However, perfect attendance in church did not equate to actual heart change. And as I grew older, I was focused on achievement, mostly in music, uh, also in grades, and checking the right boxes for church. When that wasn't recognized and still left me empty, I became angry and ultimately depressed. This led to when I was 17 years old, I attempted to take my own life. And looking back to my perspective now as a believer, I had found joy during that time in something other than Christ, and it led me to destruction. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just one week later, I went with our church youth group uh, to the Youth Evangelism Conference at Reunion Arena. I had been in church every week my whole life, but the message that weekend brought real conviction. 
At first, this did not sit well with me as a good church kid. I was in a bad place to be sure, but I did not see my struggles as a sin problem. I saw it as an everyone else problem. After that summer, God continued to call, and I started my senior year of high school telling my youth pastor that I didn't think I'd ever put my trust in Jesus. I knew every story, and I, but I'd always depended on myself. My life was music and my girlfriend, and there was no room for Jesus outside of Sunday mornings or much of anything else. Jesus didn't save me from some crazy life of rebellion, but it was no less radical. Jesus saved me from myself. And at the end of my senior year, I knew that God was calling me to ministry. God had saved me and called me, but there was still so much baggage that I hadn't dealt with yet. I grew up most of my childhood in Greenville in a normalish family, two parents, one brother, one sister. We did not go to church other than the occasional Easter service, but over the years, my brother, sister, and I did attend the VBS at the church across the street, mainly because the church members invited us. During one of those summers at VBS, I did give my life to Jesus. However, this was not out of any heart change of my own, but the pressure I felt to do the right thing. I don't remember it very well, and I continued to live life like I always had. In high school, I felt like I was never enough. I struggled to be the perfect overachiever, joining every club, and constantly searching for more. I looked for fulfillment and education, but mainly in my long-term boyfriend. I knew there was more to the life I was living, but I surrounded myself with competing voices and let that be the reason I ignored God's influence in my life. This led me to chase my high school boyfriend off to college, only to be let down one month in and single. So once again, I filled the void within my heart with another boy who didn't truly value me. I let the idea of love draw me in, and I missed the big red signs that said I was feeding my flesh and not following God. I met my first wife just before graduating from high school. I was on my way to Bible college and she wanted to become a biblical counselor. We both went off to college, were married, and I graduated from Criswell a few years later. After serving in full-time ministry for a couple of years after college, I left my full-time job, planted a church, and began working as a bivocational pastor. Ministry-wise, things were going well and we had good support for the new plant, but at home I was a horrible husband who was working two jobs and never there. To add on another layer, several weeks into planning the church, my first child, Emily, was born, and I added non-existent father to my resume. I thought everything was going well, and my absence from home was legitimized by my strong work ethic to provide for my family and to do ministry. On Emily's first birthday, my wife told me she wanted a divorce. I had built my house on sand, albeit ministry sand, and when that was taken away, I found myself not knowing where to go next. What I found that work was a great place to go. My life consisted of working, and when I wasn't working, I was spending time with Emily. But during both of those times, I was spending time with God. I had spent my entire life in church, had a degree from a Bible college, and served in ministry, but I began to grow the most as a single dad working 80 hours a week, living in a tiny apartment here in Rockwall. I met Clint over the summer while I was home from college. He was everything my parents wanted for me. Smart, had a job, a car, knew where he was going in life. But I was dating somebody else. I had no idea all the changes that God would begin as Clint and I moved quickly into a fast-paced relationship. But I did what I always did, jumped for the new guy who I thought I could put all of my faith into. Over the next two years, we continued making our own plans instead of following the Lord as we headed into marriage the month after I graduated from college. With two little words, I gained a husband, a daughter, an instant family, and a lot of pressure. We attended the local church and he was actively involved there, but I didn't quite know where to fit in this new world we were creating. Never once did we stop to consider the Lord's plan for us. Instead, we established our marriage on our own terms, not his. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 7 say, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Brittany and I still talk about the first day that we met. We had our first date several weeks after and Emily tagged along because like I said, if I wasn't working, I was with Emily. One year later, we were engaged and we married the following summer. 
I knew my current work schedule wasn't going to allow me to be present with my family, so I took a job at a small bank making less than half of what I was making before, and Brittany was working at Hobby Lobby the summer before her first teaching job. Our budget those first several months did not add up, but somehow God provided. We were part of a local church, and though lots of people knew us, we were not known by anyone. Our marriage was your basic marriage. An accountant and a teacher who attended church went out with friends and were starting a family. Benjamin was born in 2015, and I was determined in my own strength to be a different dad and husband than I'd been when Emily was born. When Benjamin was born, I immediately felt the fear of failure coming back. I had the baggage of my last marriage ending shortly after the birth of a child, and when I looked around, I actually wasn't doing much better. I say this not to make an excuse for what I did next, but as a clear example that I was focused on myself again and not focusing on Jesus. Over the next few months, I had three, quote, emotional affairs. During this time, I never confessed these to Brittany, and I did my very best to keep them from her, but that was about to change. The summer of 2015, I thought we were at the highest point of our lives. We had a new baby, just celebrated our two-year anniversary, and now we are heading on our first vacation as a family of four. That would all change quickly when I found evidence of Clint having not one, but multiple affairs. I was completely taken aback, and I had no clue. I felt like an idiot. Here we were with a six-month-old baby on our first vacation, and I find explicit text messages on Clint's iPad. But God, he knows my heart, and he knew how I would react. In complete honesty, it was not very well. So he made sure I was stuck. I wouldn't run the vacation for Emily's sake, and we were only a couple hours from leaving home at this point. And now I was stuck for five days with our kids and a husband I couldn't even look at. I confronted Clint and let him know I wanted a divorce. I felt betrayed once again by a guy who let me down. Our marriage was done in my opinion, and there was nothing Clint could do or say to change my mind. Though he tried many times, the hatefulness in my heart was stronger. But God works in mysterious and beautiful ways. Even though my faith in him was lacking, and I wasn't even sure what I believed most days, I had brought my Bible on vacation. He brought me the words I needed, and somehow, in the only way he could, he led me to find the words that I would cling to in the months to come. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I began to turn to him and cling to his word for a, lot, a way that I never had before. He began to stir my heart before we even left Florida. I can't point to the exact moment, but our arguments in the hotel night each night began to change from screaming yelling matches to divorce arrangements to in-depth questioning to where do we go from here. I agreed to go to counseling, but I still wanted out. I wanted a divorce and I thought it was done. I was done, but I wasn't going to be the one who failed us. Brittany told me we would stay on the vacation for Emily's sake, but we talked about it every night. I tried to make excuses and talk my way out of what I had done, but then that, when that wouldn't work, I apologized and accepted that we would be splitting up when we got back home. The conversations that followed were practical about stuff like custody and the house, but they always ended in a fight. We fought in the hallway of that hotel while ben Emily and Benjamin slept inside. At some point, God intervened because there's no other explanation of why I began to sense Brittany's heart softening. The drive back home was completely different than the drive there. When we got home, Brittany began calling marriage counselors, and God led us to exactly the one that we needed. For all of our marriage, I had been holding in abuse, idolatry, the affairs, and I was saying to God that I could handle it all on my own and I couldn't be more wrong. This began the process of Brittany and I actually being known to each other as God intended our marriage to be. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Counseling was hard. I was resistant. I didn't trust Clint at all, but God made it clear to my heart I didn't trust him either. My heart was hardened and not from the affair. I had closed off myself from my husband, but from God first. Not only did he begin to work in our marriage, but he also opened my heart to see how I had not created a loving environment for my husband either. 
while it's not an excuse for what Clint had done, our marriage was not a safe and healthy place. I did not communicate well, if at all, and my focus was not on loving my husband. I'd put all of my focus on the children and just expected him to be a loving, perfect provider on his pedestal. Our God can work miracles, and he did in our marriage. I don't have any other word for it. He didn't just restore it. He gave it new life we'd never had before. It was this life that propelled me to begin looking into adoption. I'd always felt intrigued by the idea of it, knowing at some point I wanted to pay forward what my grandparents had done through adopting my own father. But that would be later in life, after our kids were grown. We'd talked about it before we got married. Yet, here we were with a baby, on the fresh cusp of reconciliation, and I began, got, began to feel God calling my heart. So I worked up the nerve to tell Clint. He was not so on board, for obvious reasons. But he agreed to go to an information meeting with me, and we signed up that night. I wasn't on board with adoption because I didn't want it to mess up our perfect one boy, one girl family, and also I thought it would be really expensive. I had no idea what to expect bringing kids from hard places into our home, and there are plenty of people who will talk you out of that for every conceivable excuse in the world. However, once we were introduced to the need and put faces with the need, God changed my heart. There are many avenues to caring for orphans, and the more we looked into it, the more we knew fostering to adopt was the next obedient step for us. I say next step because we couldn't know all fostering would entail, and if we wanted to know everything before moving forward, we never would have taken that first step. Brianna was our fifth foster placement, and she bounded into our house one Sunday night with more energy than I've ever seen. We were less than a year into fostering, but we had begun to get an idea for how long we thought a child or sibling group would be with us before going home. We both guessed Brianna would be with us about six weeks tops. As her case progressed, though, we began to feel Brianna belonged in our family. This is dangerous territory for foster parents because reunification with the biological family is almost always the goal and end result. We prayed that Brianna belonged to God, not us and not to her biological mom. We prayed for God's best for her life and that he would be glorified no matter what happened. We tried to keep a kingdom perspective, but it was really hard not to pray selfishly. Everything came to a head eight months after we first met Brianna at a scheduled court date. Brittany was there at court and I was at work. Based on what we had been told, we thought that the court was going to order Brianna back to her biological mom and at this hearing, which means CPS would pick her up from school that day and we had already seen her for the last time when we dropped her off that morning. Brittany called me at work, and I was expecting her to say through tears that they were sending her back home. Instead, she said, how soon can you get here? She's relinquishing her rights, and they need us both here to sign. There's a lot more to that story, but the short version is that Brianna's biological mom had been able to see Brittany at the foster visitations and came to the conclusion that while she couldn't provide a home for Brianna, she knew that we could. The seed planted during that time would continue to grow. Despite our journey with Brianna and the redemption God had allowed in our marriage, I still had a half-hearted view of my faith. I was like the seed that fell on top of the soil and didn't take root. Despite hearing God's truth, my faith was about an inch deep. I only sought God when I needed him, and when the problem was over, so was my relationship with him. It wasn't until I began a women's Bible study community for the first time with a few girls in my church that I barely knew that he showed me I was living a lie by serving in my church, yet I wasn't even a part of the church in the truest sense. The Lord called me out of this superficial faith into a true relationship with him. I spent the next year seeking him until I decided to be baptized as a new member of Cross Point. This would turn out to be God's way of preparing us for a foundation on him that we would desperately cling to in the craziness to come. He led us to a community of believers who knew his word and his truth, so when he called us to step out in faith again, we weren't alone. Brianna's adoption would turn out not to be the end of our foster or adoption journey, as we had thought. Less than a year later, we received a call from CPS about the birth of Brianna's half-biological brother, just days before the birth of our own biological son. God is always working behind the scenes, and it became clear he had a purpose in me taking Brianna to her family visits every other week while she had been in foster care. It was there I met her birth mom, and through that relationship, it gave her the ability to know me and our family values. 
This was God's ordained plan, and I know that now, so that later she would choose life for our other two adopted children. Our obedience and trust in his plans continued to stretch after each adoption, but the biggest was choosing to adopt for the third time when we learned of their baby sister's coming arrival, just after the boys turned one. It would not be easy, but it's proving to be a journey God is using to pull me closer to him each day. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Psalm 16, 9. Sin and redemption started the process of Brittany and I being known to one another. But even though we didn't realize it, we still were not known to other believers. I know now that's what drew us to Crosspoint over four years ago. Being known by other believers gives you the freedom to confess your need for Jesus, that we can't do this on our own, and actually to mean it. I still struggle with leaning on my own understanding, but community and being known by other believers is the tool God used in our lives to keep us from isolation and from leaning on our own understanding. God has shown us time and time again that his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than ours. God showed us that when he provided for our needs when we first got married. He showed us that when he held our marriage together when most other marriages would have ended. And God showed us that when he perfectly orchestrated Brianna becoming a part of our family. The next step of faith was Brittany staying home with the kids. Our first time through Reengage rocked our world here. God used community and also some perfectly placed questions from Kevin and Sam Jolliker to convict and turn my heart. This is something that Brittany has always wanted, and as a husband, I had outright dismissed as impossible and would never happen. But one night after Reengage, I confessed to Brittany this sin, asked her forgiveness, and asked her if we could start talking about her staying home. But she said she didn't want to talk about that. Staying home had been a sore subject for me since Benjamin was born. I grew up in a home where my mom never worked, but instead lived her life around her children. Clint grew up polar opposite. I had assumed that when we had children, I would stay home before the children reached school age. I assumed wrong. Financially, it just wasn't a doable situation. But despite this, my heart yearned to be with my children. This led to a lot of resentment towards Clint that I did not want to admit. So when he confessed he had been dismissive of my desires, it honestly shocked and upset me more. I didn't want to talk about it more just to be left upset again when I went back to work in the fall. I told Clint I would pray with him, but I didn't want to discuss it. I had hardened my heart towards my husband and refused to see how God was moving him. The next night, God used our BSF teaching to remind me who he is and how great his power can be. We read in Joshua 10 of the battle of the Amorites. On the day of the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. The Lord revealed to my heart that night, it wasn't only that I didn't trust Clint and his desire to repent or move forward. I didn't trust that God was big enough to do it. I didn't believe he was big enough to make this possible. I went home from BSF and apologized to Clint and asked him to forgive me as well. We prayed, both with open hearts, and saw God move in really big ways. He did make a way for me to stay home. He provided a job for Clint and even opened his heart to the idea of homeschooling. We decided to follow his push and let faith take the lead. And years later, I know we made the right call. Homeschooling opened my eyes to my lack of daily dependency on the Lord. In the past few years, God has opened so many doors I thought I had closed and led me down so many paths I'd never seen before. I've dealt with many identity struggles as I've worked through this walk. I've put mother, teacher, wife, homeschool mom, all before child of God at some point in my life. This is a major trigger I've learned for my depression and anxiety attacks. But there is hope, the truest hope of them all, and his name is Jesus. Because my worth isn't found in my husband's love for me, my list of to-dos, my ability to educate, or how well I manage my anxiety. My hope is in the power of the cross and what he has already done for me. I realize now more than ever, I'm not enough on my own, but that's how he designed me to be. My flaws remind me only Jesus is enough to complete me. 
Paul reflected on this in his second letter to Corinthians. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 2 Corinthians 12.9. I often think about what life would be like today without God intervening that week in Florida. As hard as it was, I can honestly say that our marriage is better, and we can say today that if we had a time machine, we wouldn't go back to change it. The sin that was exposed was just the visible thing that pointed to our greater need as a married couple. God used what was meant for evil for good. God opened our hearts to adoption and brought Brianna into our home. Because of that relationship, Brianna's birth mother, who found herself pregnant again, chose life for Jonathan and for Eden because she knew there was a loving home waiting for them. It's our hope that God would be able to use our story even for those on the brink, for those unplugged and those unknown to other believers that our story would teach the love and redemption of God and cause many to return to him. If God can do for another couple what he has done for us, then no marriage is unsavable. Whether you struggle, wherever you struggle or however you have been hurt, God is so much better than that. We're not limited to what failures we've had before, but God's plan is for what's to come. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's harder to model authenticity than it is to talk about it. It's one of the reasons that we take one week a year and we talk about this and we bring a couple up here to model this. So I hope that today you've been encouraged. I hope that today you've been equipped because I know that it's scary to think about allowing others into the hidden parts of our lives. But what we want you to see is that it is possible, and it is life-giving, and it does provide an opportunity to give glory and honor to Christ and to give hope to our, our, our church and our community, hope to the world. So again, we are glad that you're here for today. Uh, after the service, if Clint and Brittany would hang out, if you guys want to encourage them, if you have questions for them, I'm sure they'd be glad to have those conversations with you. So let me pray. Father, we thank you for you. God, you are so good. God, you know everything there is to know about us. And God, you love us so much that in spite of our sin, God, you paid a great price on the cross for our sins so that we can be in a right relationship with you. And so God, help us to be honest. Help us to address our sin. And God, run towards you as the light. God, the one that made a way, God, for us to be right and with you. God, your word says in Proverbs 28, 13, that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And I pray for your mercy to be upon us. God, I pray that you would grant us the courage to trust your word and to God to follow through with obedience. I pray that you would use this in our lives however you want to use this. God, you know where every single person in this room is today and it, relate to, and it relates to life stage and circumstance. And so God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.